0: We're in Genesis chapter thirty four and uh, there are some dark things that take place in this chapter and uh, but uh, please have a peace of mind that I'm going to keep this g this morning. Even though uh, you might put a different rating on chapter thirty four my sermon is going to be uh, rated g. but uh let's as we look at chapter thirty four there's thirty one verses. I want to break them down for you this morning. Uh, Verses 1 through 7 uh, speak of the violation of uh, Dinah. Dinah is the one daughter of uh, Jacob born to Leah. And uh, we learn of her violation in verses 1 through 7. And then uh, verses 8 through 29, uh, Israel, or the brothers of uh, Jacob the sons of Jacob uh they are irate as to what has happened to their sister and so they seek revenge in verses 28 through 29 and then in verse verses 30 and 31 uh we see Jacob's response and so I'm going to be reading um taking each of these uh sections uh separately and uh I just want to mention, too, right off the top, that uh, as I share with you this morning, a lot of my thoughts come from a pastor in Texas. His name is uh, Dr. Jordan Rogers. Uh, I have read lots of commentaries on Chapter 34 uh, this week, but uh, I really appreciated Dr. Rogers' uh, words and his message because it's unlike any of the commentaries that I've I've read, and I I agree with Doctor Rogers and where this text is coming from, so I just want to mention that uh, on the at the outset. But again, this is a very dark passage. Uh, Craig mentioned to us last week. He quoted the verse in Romans chapter, th- verse Romans chapter fifteen verse four that uh, when it comes to the Old Testament. The Old Testament was written for our benefit. Uh, From the Old Testament, uh, we learn what God expects of us. Uh, We are encouraged in the area of, of being patient, and we can draw comfort from every chapter of the Old Testament, and that includes Genesis chapter 34. But as we read this text this morning... Uh, it's going to be difficult for us to wrap our minds around all that uh, transpired in this passage of scripture. A great offense has taken place in Dinah's life, and not only in Dinah's life, but against Israel. This is the first time that Israel uh, is mentioned beyond just the person of Jacob, but Israel reflecting uh, the God's covenant people, which includes the the 11 sons of Jacob at this point. So that offense not only took place with Dinah, their sister, but they see this as having taken place among all their people. But the way the brothers handle it is despicable. And as we read this text this morning, it's going to be very easy to want to jump to some moral conclusions. How can the covenant people of God do such a thing? And uh, as we read the text this morning, but understand this. This is the lawless land. This is the... This is life in the land of lawlessness, okay? There's no government. There's no police force. Or this, this is just tribes uh, attempting to live with one another, different people groups. And so as this despicable thing, as, as this very highly offensive t- thing has taken place in Dinah's life, Brothers don't have anybody to go to, okay? And so they take matters into their own hand. So I would just encourage us this morning as we walk through the text is be patient. Wait on the text as we uh, look at this passage this morning. What is Moses trying to convey to the children of Israel as he's with them in in the wilderness right now. This this text, this book is written 300 years, approximately 300 years after the life of Jacob. Moses is preparing the nation of Israel to be to enter the promised land. And he is trying to convey to them the type of people who are in the land of Canaan, the people that they're going to have to deal with. And Israel's ancestors, Jacob and the and the sons of Jacob, had to deal with the Hivites, who are one of the people groups in the land of Canaan. Okay, so with that being said, let's look at verses 1 through 7. Now Dinah, daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. Now Jacob heard that he had, he had defiled his daughter Dinah. Shechem had defiled his daughter Dinah. But his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until he came. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it, and the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. For such a thing must not be done. This chapter is another low spot in Jacob's life. Last week, we, we ended on a high, high, high point. Um, uh, Jacob was uh, pitching tents. He pitched a tent and built an a- altar in Sukkot. But here we see uh, Jacob having taken like two steps forward. Now he, t- he takes three steps back. Uh, and in fact, Jacob really isn't where he's supposed to be. You know, back in Genesis chapter 28, he made a commitment to God when he met God at Bethel that uh, if God were to bless him and that he would um, be at peace with those around him, uh, he would give 10% of all he had to God. Well, here, Jacob has made peace with, with Esau. And instead of Jacob coming back to Bethel, he stops about 20 to 30 miles away from Bethel. And he pitches a tent, builds an altar in Sukkot. Jacob is not where he is supposed to be. And you know, if Jacob were where he was supposed to be, chapter 34 probably would not have happened. But God uses all things. For his glory and our benefit. And so this is where Jacob is. This is what his families are experiencing. And and again, we've seen the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob make lots of mistakes. They are not perfect people. And in fact, every person you read in the Old Testament and the New Testament are not perfect people. The only perfect one is Jesus Christ. He is our only hope. And that's where our hope resides. It's not in Jacob. It's not in his 12 sons. But here we are in this passage of scripture this morning. And uh, Jacob shouldn't have been there. But because Jacob is there, verse 1, The Bible says that Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. Now, who are the women of the land? That is described as the worldly women of the land. You know, we've read about Sarah. We've read about Rebekah. And uh, uh, or Abraham and Rebecca, the fact that uh, they didn't want their sons to find women in Canaan, they wanted their their wives to be found in uh, uh, Haran, where um, Abraham had come from, where um, Abraham's family was, because the women of the land in Canaan had a reputation. And so here Jacob is in Sukkot with his family and his one daughter. What does she want to do? She wants to go meet the women of the land. Leah isn't where she should be uh, in the text this morning. But as Leah is out uh, meeting the women of the land, Verse 2, there's a young man by the name of Shechem, and this also happens to be the city in which he lives, Shechem, sees Leah and decides that he wants to have his way with Leah. Keeping this, G, Shechem, violates Leah. And you know what that means. And, uh, and so here we see Shechem doing this and uh, Hamar, Hamor, his father, is aware of this. These two individuals represent the Hivite people. Okay? His father happens to be uh, the person uh, who is over these people. He is the prince of the land um, and Shechem is... Uh, first in line to become prince of the land uh, after his father. And so this happens, and you have to ask the question, I mean, this is a very dark chapter in the Bible. Why is this here? And again, Moses is pulling the curtain back on helping the children of Israel understand the kinds of people, type of people who are in the land of Canaan that they're going to have to be uh, deal with again this event in verse chapter thirty four happened three hundred years before genesis, uh, Moses writes the book of genesis, and so he 's trying to educate the children uh, of Israel and uh, Shechem violates Leah, and the Bible says that his soul oh his soul was drawn to her. He loved her. That's the, wa- that's the reason why he did this. And you know what? We see the very same thing happening today with uh, people with immoral behavior. Well, they just had to do it. They felt led to do it. And we are motivated and led by our feelings and our emotions. And here we are, 1700 BC, and the very same thing is taking place in chapter 34. Shechem did this to Dinah because he was attracted to her. He had feelings for her. Well, you know what? I can care less about Shechem's feelings. What Shechem did was vile was evil, was wrong. Church, we don't live our life according to emotions, to feelings, uh, what we think is right in our own mind. No, we must base our life upon truth. And you know, in this passage of Scripture, Ten Commandments haven't been written yet. <laughs> you know, we don't have the book of Exodus yet. That's yet to come. But, you know, these brothers know what Shechem did to their sister Dinah was outrageously wrong. And is they say is ought not to be done. This was not... A consensual matter. Shechem violated Dinah. And the brothers know that it is wrong. And yet Shechem, there's no repentance on his part. He didn't feel bad. He justifies his behavior because he loved her. Dinah did not consent to this. Shechem had his way. And, you know, he got things out of order. You know, Genesis chapter 2, verses 22 through 25, the Bible speaks about the fact that a, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. And then the two will become one flesh. That's not happening very often in today's culture. We've got things turned upside down. And we've got um, worldly people, and we have so-called Christians who want to test drive this relationship to see if it will go the distance before they make a covenant commitment with each other. The Bible says that is wrong. You make a covenant commitment first before you give yourselves to one another. That's not what is taking place here. And, uh, and that's not what's taking place today. And people think, people are convinced today that if uh, they just test out the relationship first, then they can make a wise decision as to whether they need to be, be together for the rest of their life. You know what happens in those relationships? There was a study done by the University of North Carolina in 2014 there is a 33% higher percentage rate among couples who live together before they marry. Church, there is blessing that accompanies obedience. And I know in making that kind of commitment, you look weird. People are going to talk about, I remember Trevor and Mary, you know, they were at uh, no- University of Notre Dame working on their master's. Their first year, um, they went to Notre Dame and they were engaged and they they rented separate apartments. And uh, the person, uh, the manager of the apartment complex who was filling out all their paperwork uh, thought it was very strange that this engaged couple was living in two separate apartment units. (laughs) But you know what? They wanted to do it God's way. And this ought to be the desire of every follower of Christ, to live in obedience. And as hard as that might be, that's what God is going to bless. That is what God is going to honor. We don't see that very often in today's culture. Let me encourage you to do the right thing, no matter what the cost. You may lose someone you love over the decision that you make. But God is going to honor that decision. Leah's been, violent, not Leah, uh, Dinah's been violated. And what does Jacob do? He holds his peace. He's rather passive about the news that he's heard. He's waiting for his sons to get home. You know what? If I was Dinah's dad and I heard that kind of news, I'm not sure I would have held my peace. (laughs) I would have been going and hunting down Shechem. But here we see Jacob, not where he's supposed to be, but being passive about the news that he has heard. But for the boys, uh, this violation, they see that as a violation against them as well. Verse 7 says, "Um, And when the men heard it, they were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous Thing in Israel, referring to the family. What was done against their daughter was done against the whole family. And they know it's wrong. So as we look at this text this morning, there's one thing I want us to be encouraged by. The Bible is not anti-women. Here we see Israel. Here we see uh, these these brothers and uh, of uh, Dinah uh, defending their daughters their their sisters dignity and uh, and so just be encouraged uh, by that that uh, god 's word is pr- wants to protect the hearts and lives of women <clears throat> and I think um, you know, we live in a world today where society isn't necessarily recognizing these laws anymore. And as they don't recognize God's laws, whether they be written or unwritten, you know, that society is doomed for chaos. Church, it is so important that the laws of our land Are built upon biblical morality. You know what? We have an election coming up. And as Christians, you and I have a responsibility to vote our biblical values. We need to be electing politicians who are going to support what the Word of God says. Because the word of God not just benefits Christians, you know what? It benefits nations. And so, understand that as we um, are preparing ourselves for um, for November, our hope, our answer, is not in Washington D.C. It's not in Sacramento. But we have responsibility as God's people to be that salt and that light. And voting our biblical values is part of that responsibility. So here we see uh, the violation of Dinah in verses 1 through 7. Now, verses 8 through 29. But Hamar spoke with them, saying, he's speaking to all the brothers now in Jacob, the soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take your daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade And get property in it. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers. Let me find favor in your eyes. And whatever you say to me. I will give. Ask me for a great. um, Ask me for as great a bride price. And gift, gift as you will. And I will give you whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully because he had defiled their sister Dinah. And they said to him, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. All the Hivite males need to be circumcised. Verse 16, Then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to ourselves, and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. Their words pleased Hamar and Hamor's son Shechem. And the young men did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of all his father's house. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city saying, These men are at peace with us, speaking about Israel. They are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men agree to dwell with us to become one people. When every male among us is circumcised, as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of of his city listened to Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised all who went out of the gate of his city. Now on the third day, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds and their donkeys and whatever was in the city and in the field, all their wealth, all their little ones and all their wives, all that was in the houses, they captured and plundered. Dinah's brothers were infurious. And so they heard from Shechem and Hamor, make marriages with us. Shechem loves Dinah. And so they're trying to convince them, you become one of us. Marry our daughters. Our our men will marry your daughters and we can be one happy family. Moses wants the people of Israel to see here the strategy of Satan. Satan wants to erase the influence of Christianity. Satan wanted to erase the children of Israel. Had Israel made this covenant, this pact, with uh, uh, the Hivite people. Israel could have been gone. Their race would never be uh, pure. The, the seed of promise would have gone away. And that's exactly what Satan wanted to do here. And Israel knew that that wasn't what God would have them to do. But you know What? church christians satan wants to erase your influence today he wants you to be one with everyone else you know let's just melt into the melting pot We don't have to be different. We can just love everybody. God's just a God of love, and he's just going to accept everybody. No. Jesus, God tells us as his people to be holy as he is holy, to come out from among them, to be in the world, but not of the world. Satan doesn't like that. And he's trying to make everybody one. And that's what's going to happen the days of tribulation. That there's going to be one world government. And you better submit to this one world government or your head's coming off. This is the reality that we live in today. And so Hamor Shechem is making this commitment, but deep down inside, they tell the men, the Hivite men, their property is going to become our property. We're going to be one people if we make this commitment. So uh, the brothers are seeing this and uh, they're not going to buy into it. And, um, Moses is educating Israel in the wilderness. And in fact, he says this in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. This is just before they're about to enter the promised land. Moses says this, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Gergeshites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, That's who we're talking about this morning. And the Jebusites, seven nations, more numerous and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for you would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods, then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and you would and would destroy you quickly, but thus you shall deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their ashram and burn their carved images with the fire. For you are a people, holy to the Lord, your God, the Lord God has chosen you to be a people. For his treasured possession, out of all the people who are on the face of the earth don 't be like everybody else. be holy as I am holy, and so just let that be a warning to for us when you young people, when you contemplate a covenant relationship with somebody else, make sure that they are uh, a believer as well. The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked. Uh, What does a person, what does a saved person have in common with a lost person? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, or listen to this, verses 14 through 17. 2 Corinthians 6 says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, For what partnership can righteousness have with wickedness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement can exist between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell with them and walk among them. and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord. Come out from among them and be holy to God. This is God's will for all of our lives. And I know for every young person, well, at least for the women, girls in particular, they long to one day be married. They long to be loved. They long to be wanted. And as they wait, there is a tendency of you being impatient or being desperate that, you know, I can't find a godly Christian guy and so... They settle for whoever is drifting down the stream. Don't wait on the Lord. He will bless you. He knows. He sees. He cares. And that's the same for guys as well. I've met a lot of engineers in Ridgecrest. Guys who have told me, boy, there's not a whole lot of selection when it comes to females in this community. Continue to wait on the Lord. God is in control. But the strategy of Satan is to want to swallow up your testimony. For your testimony to dissipate. For your testimony to to disappear because you've gone the way of the world. That's what Satan wanted for Jacob's sons, to be like the Hivites, and for that covenant of promise, that promise seed to just dissipate. But the good news, church, is nothing is going to thwart the will of God. His will is going to be accomplished. And his will is going to be accomplished in your life as well. You can take that to the bank. But for the the brothers, they were deceitful, weren't they? They spoke to Shechem and they spoke to Hamar. He says, we can't marry you unless you are circumcised. You, are, um, uh, you, you do this among, among yourselves because we can't be unequally yoked. But they did it for all the wrong reasons. When they talked about circumcision, they didn't uh, talk about God's covenant sign. They didn't talk about the gracious act of God having chosen their grandfather, Abraham, um, to be uh, the people of God, the father of their faith, and what that circumcision represented. They didn't talk about humility and being circumcised on the inside with your heart, uh, cutting out the sin of your life. They didn't talk about any of that. They purely spoke of the physical sign and used that to their advantage because Shechem had violated their sister. We're going to come to verse 31 in a moment. Shechem had treated their sister like a prostitute. And so they felt justified in coming up with this strategy of being circumcised. And they convinced Hamor and Shechem. And Hamor and Shechem went back to the men of the city, and they convinced the the men of the city to be circumcised as well. And again... They were deceiving them or they were convincing them. We can do this because we will all become one. What they possess will become our possessions. So it was kind of a, a business. The covenant, the, the, the sacred sign of circumcision had become a business transaction. transaction. And Simeon and Levi... Knew what was going to happen. This was their strategy. For these men to go through this act of cir- circumcision, and then three days from there, mm-hmm. from then they knew the men of uh, of uh, Shechem could not defend themselves because they were handicapped at that moment, still still healing. And with a sword, Simon, Simeon and Levi killed all the men. The other brothers, they came in and they did all the plundering of what was left. They took the women and the children and the possessions and made them their own. And it severely impacted the Hivite people. Again, Not a pretty picture. Jacob's sons are not acting uh, on their their best behavior. It's it's hard to put a pretty bow on this passage, okay? It's it's pretty hard to justify their, their behavior. And then we come to verses 30 and 31. And the Bible says this. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land. You know, they had a reputation of being a people of peace. But now, not so much. The Canaanites and the Perizzites, my numbers are few. And if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, should he treat our sister like a prostitute? Again, they were justifying their behavior. They felt like they were in the right to do such a a, a despicable thing, a heinous thing. But here we see Jacob's response. Um, Jacob doesn't uh, condemn the boys. In this passage, Jacob is concerned about himself. He's concerned about uh, Israel's reputation. Um, that he's concerned about their protection, their safety, because they're small in numbers. Everyone else is larger. And now here this they've done this evil thing and so great harm can, can be brought onto Jacob and to the family. So he doesn't condemn their actions. He just sees the potential consequences of what has been done. Now, Simeon and Levi they will suffer consequences. If you go to Genesis chapter 49 verses 6 and 7, Jacob is going to bless all of his sons. But for Simeon and Levi, uh, there are consequences. Simeon becomes the smallest of the tribes of Israel. And in fact, when Moses goes to bless uh, uh, Simeon's tribe, in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 8, he passes over Simeon. And then for Levi, Levi, they don't have a a geographical area that they can call themselves either. Uh, Simeon's not going to have a geographical uh, area. They're going to be incorporated in, into uh, the tribe of Judah. But for Simeon and Levi, they don't have territory that they can call themselves. For Levi, They're going to be divided up among the other uh, tribes of Israel. And by God's grace, they're going to be uh, the priests of God. So there are consequences for what Simeon and Levi have done in chapter 34. But um, with that being said, let me carefully wrap up this chapter. Again, you can't put a pretty bow on it. But I want you to consider these, some things. Uh, the situation that Israel found themselves in uh, in this passage of Scripture. Um, how does justice come about in this text? It comes about with the edge of a sword. Okay, Israel, Israel is at war. What happened to Dinah happened to Israel. And so the boys, they saw this as war being waged against them. And so they go to war with the Hivites. Now, when you go to war with somebody, Do you tell the enemy what your strategy is going to be? No. If you do, you're kind of dumb, okay? It's to be a surprise. And so the boys had a strategy. As bad as it was, they knew they were at war and they were deceitful but they had to be deceitful in order to win that war. Now, Simeon and Levi didn't per- pursue justice in the right way, did they? But what would be the right way? You know, if they had gone to Hamor and say, we want justice for, uh, with your son... Hamor and 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 Shechem were, were were the government. Okay, Hamor was the prince of the, the people. And so they're not going to bring justice upon the the son of the prince. So they're not going to find justice there. Where are they going to go? There's no police department. There's no FBI. There's no DOJ. There's nothing. What are they going to do? Who is to, supposed to bring about justice? It's a different age back here. It's, it's a land of lawlessness. There are no governments. Today... It's different for us. We have a police department. We have a justice department. And God has instituted those institutions. He's created those institutions uh, to promote good and, and to punish evil. And that's the direction that we are to go. But for this family, they didn't have those, those institutions to go to but the Bible does not give us permission to be vigilantes. Let me read Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35 again. 300 years later, when Moses is writing the first five books of the Bible, Moses writes this, Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when the foot shall slip. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes quickly. Um, I think I just read the wrong verse. (laughs) Deuteronomy 32. Verse 35. Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. Verse 36, for the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. When he sees that the power is gone, there is none remaining bond or free. God is the avenger, church, and we must trust him. Jacob's family did not and they will suffer the consequences come forward but this is life at the moment in a lawless land if they had just sought justice for Shechem alone he, they weren't going to get it from his dad his, daughter, his dad was a big defender in what Shechem had done to Dinah. If they had sought justice just on Shechem alone, do you not think that all the Hivite he, he, men would have come come upon uh, the, the the sons of Jacob and have annihilated them? That was not an option for these young men. So again, you can't put a pretty bow on this passage of scripture. But God wanted to use it, not only in Israel's life, but he wants to use it in our life. Satan has a strategy of wiping each and every one of us off the face of the earth, devouring our testimony, erasing us. And we must choose to stand and be the people of God and not be afraid of man and be holy, be separate, be different from the rest of the world. One last verse, Romans chapter 12. And I conclude with this. Verses 17 through 21. Church, one day Jesus is going to come back and he's going to right every wrong that has ever taken place. Our confidence is in him. And the Bible says in verse 17, Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. with good this is God's will for our life let's choose to take the high road and love our enemy do good to those who mistreat us and allow that testimony to burn in other people's hearts of the difference only Christ can make let's pray Father, I thank you for this text, as difficult as it is to wrap our mind around. uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us to understand that we live in similar days. God, it is such a temptation to just want to blend in, to become a chameleon. And be like everybody else so that we won't face persecution. That we won't be made fun of because, God, you expect us to live differently. Lord, I know that what you call us to believe and you call us to live out goes directly against culture. And it's like the culture is just piling on the church today, piling on Christians, piling on young people to be silent, to not be different. Lord, it's such a temptation to cave in. So, God, help each and every one of us to be faithful. To know that you are the God of Bethel. You are in our Bethel. You are in our Ridgecrest. You are on our campus. You hold us. You are there for us. Father, for those who are struggling, encourage their faith to be strong in you because you are there. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for Jesus. Who took all the problems of the, this world, all the sin of this world, and laid it upon himself and experienced your wrath, your judgment, so that we wouldn't have to. God, God, we can continue to trust you as we go through uncertain days knowing that one day God you are coming back and you are going to right every wrong that ever ever took place thank you father for that promise and that hope bless this time of invitation in Jesus name we pray amen